I think that with being um, queer, you know, that can be different for people. It can be, you know, new, a new mm -hmm. topic. It can be a new, like, a new thing. And that's okay. And it's okay not to understand things. But you can still be kind. Yeah. You can still respect people even if you don't understand something. You're listening to Alchemical Voices, a podcast exploring the lives of BIPOC, transracial adoptees, and survivors of complex trauma. Hi, I'm Jaslyn, your host, a nurse, and trauma release practitioner, curiously observing the human experience. As a Black woman and survivor of human trafficking, I've encountered many, many hardships. On the road to recovery, I discovered that storytelling unites us at heart and is where we find healing, inspiration, and encouragement. In each episode, you will hear stories from courageous souls and we will touch on subjects such as identity confusion, the impacts of racism, complex trauma, transracial adoption, and much more. How do we rise amid trials and tribulations? How do we invite softness into our lives? We touch on these and many other questions, so tune in to experience transformative storytelling and let's heal together. Today we have A in the studio and he would like to discuss the intersection of being a queer adoptee of color in a majority white environment. So welcome to you, A. Oh, good to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Lovely to see you again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So if you would like to tell us who you are, and then we can just dive right into talking about the intersection. Okay. Um, well, I um as was introduced. My name, you can call me A. I use he, him pronouns. I am an adoptee um, from China. Um, and I was adopted when I was about a year old. And I reside in the United States, um, the East Coast of the United States specifically. And I am a queer person who is living in a world where it's not very friendly to be queer at the moment, especially in the United States, but, um, we keep going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So where you just ended, let's dive into that. It is not easy being queer in the USA. Um, as far as like, given the way things are going, especially hostility toward the transgender community, um, mm -hmm. it is not easy to be a queer person in America. And I would say that there are a lot of things in America being in a, that being in America does make it easy to be a queer person, but that doesn't take away from being um, the growing hostility toward queer and specifically gender non-conforming and transgender individuals um i think we're seeing um, a very dangerous turn um in the way um events have been going like with um 
targeting transgender children specifically um and being somebody who was who is queer and who is you know doesn't identify as the gender that was assigned to them myself I grew up as a trans kid I I had it a little easier than what kids what trans kids are going through now um and I recognize my privilege in being able to access gender affirming health care and being um, able to receive the care that I needed. Um, it wasn't easy, but it was much, but I would say it's probably a bit easier. It was a bit easier, um, at least for me. Um, but I really think that being somebody who is not white um, uh, plays in the way plays a fact in the way my queerness is perceived by others. Um, I identify as a transgender man. So that means I um, was assigned female at birth and the gender identity that I see myself as is male. Um, and being a trans man, specifically an Asian trans man, and specifically a Chinese trans man, it's very interesting because I don't see myself as very masculine, you know, traditionally masculine. I don't go to the gym. I don't like to work out. Like, I don't like to go to the gym and work out. I don't like sports or any of the traditional stereotypical things that men are associated with in America. Because remember, gender is also very a cultural thing. And mm -hmm. which leads me to which leads me into my point about how Asian, specifically Chinese men, are perceived in the West as inherently feminine. They're demasculinized, they're desexualized. And this um this has to do historically with how gender was is was and still to an extent is seen in China. See, gender roles, um, from what I know, and if I am misspeaking here, please let me know. Um, <laughs> but um, from what I know, gender in China is a bit more fluid. And because um, China is a very old society, and in ancient China, the ideal man was somebody who was a scholar, somebody who read a lot of books, somebody, it wasn't the warrior. It wasn't, it wasn't the Kung Fu master. It Now both kind of attributes, the mind and the body were respected, um, but the mind was considered something. If you were intelligent and if you were, if you studied, if you went if you and if you um like philosophy and art and and whatnot and if you studied that you would be considered more of a man more to the close to the ideal standard of manhood in China than somebody who is strictly a warrior and because of this and the way the West perceives how 
how in the West we perceive gender is quite the opposite. It is the warrior. It is the macho man. It is somebody who can fight, put up a fight. And because it's a contrast from, quote unquote, the East, it was it was very easy to demask to demasculinize and feminize East Asian men. And being perceived as an East Asian man who um, is not, you know, the strongest or the fastest, um, I see I see that I can get away with being a little more quote unquote feminine and the way and I have a little more leniency in my gender presentation because of the associations that our Western cultural standards has has placed on on racialized people. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> I hope that wasn't too much for you. <laughs> no, I'm just I am just thinking that out of all of that, what am I going to ask? What is the hardest part about your experience, the queer experience, as things are in the U.S. today? I think for me, because I've had the privilege of being, quote unquote, post-transition for a few years now, um, which just means that I have completed everything that I feel that makes me feel content in my body. Um, so medically, um, I think it's just safety is for the most part is probably the biggest concern. Um, I I identify as semi-stealth, which just means that people in real life don't really know that I'm, you know, transgender or they, maybe they have a suspicion, but most people just read me as gay. Um, but no one um, really knows except close family and close friends, which I prefer it that way. Um, I prefer, you know, an anonymous format to share um, as well, um, which thank you um, to our wonderful host here. Um, but I think that it is the fear of being, I guess, rejected by society. I think is mm. the people... People don't understand and fear what they don't know, right? People fear what they don't understand. Mm -hmm. And people, and I think it's a normal reaction because sometimes, but I've been in the position of being a queer adoptee in a majority white area. I I know what it's like to be the odd one out very mm -hmm. much so you know there weren't people who looked like me growing up right there were not many and the ones that were <clears throat> um that that were were either other adoptees which you know was fine or it was um like asian just like some random other like asian kid who was you know who had nothing in common with me and I grew up a very unique child. I'll just put it that way. Um, but, and had, you know, ex you know, yeah, I grew up a very unique child. And um, I don't know, I think, 
but I don't always think it's just good to focus on the worst parts of being queer. I think it's also important to focus on the best parts of being queer. And mm -hmm. I think, and to bounce off of that, I think it would be inappropriate for me not to speak about the joys, you know? I think mm -hmm. we get bogged down by negativity um, and it's important to have that community is one of the best parts of being a queer person, to have others like you to share an experience. And that can, and community can be in many forms, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think showing, showing up for people the way um, a lot of the queer community, and now that's not to say there aren't issues with the queer community that like any community does not have. Um, but I think, in light of the worst things, a lot of the best things can be brought out in humanity as well. And mm -hmm. I think to see people, you know, stand up for queer people and and to have the ability just to be in a country where we can exist. It's not great, but it's we still can exist, you know, yeah. um, just and it's kind of in a similar way of being a non-white person within um and within a country, uh, within a world dominant country. Um, but I think it's, you know, something to be said. I think the community is beautiful. And I think it's a lot of beautiful things can come out of when we do support each other and we can support um you know, uh, who we are and celebrate who we are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you. And uh, it, I also believe that if the focus always or mostly is on what's challenging and, you know, you mentioned feeling unsafe, that's that's really not a way to live. I mean, you're not living if you constantly are in fear, you know, in that fear mindset. Um, so I think it's really beautiful what you said about, yeah, you're also looking at the beautiful things. And for you, that's the, the community and connecting with people, like-minded people with uh, similar experiences and, you know, celebrating who you are with people who accept you and who very much uh, like you. I think that's really beautiful. Um, so just touching a little bit more on the unsafe, the unsafe aspect. Um, okay. How did you feel? Sorry. I just said, okay. Uh, okay. Sorry, I didn't. Go ahead. It's okay. <laughs> um. Um, how how did you feel growing up in a majority white um, environment and how was it for your parents to you know adopt you and then you having the realization that you did not ad identify as a gender you were born as and if you could you know dive into that journey okay yeah so um, I was adopted, um, like I said, when I was about a year old, um, a little less than a year, but I, um, uh, you know, my 
adoptive mother wanted to adopt a child from China uh, because she saw an ad in a church clipping. And I think, um, and, and I'll touch on that aspect later. Um, but my mother expected to have a girl because that's what was advertised. And when I grew up and she struggled with that when I came out, um, when I was an early teenager, um, I came out to her, but she struggled with that for a very long time. And for me, it, it didn't make things easy because I wanted her because it didn't because I've been out around about a decade now and I um and I have been living as my desired gender <clears throat> and desired presentation for five years. Um and I was not able to do the desired things that I needed. I didn't wasn't able to receive um health care when I was a kid for being trans, you know. I because my mother, it was really my mother who had a hard time accepting it. Um, and that caused a lot of tension in our relationship. And that's still something that I, I guess, grapple with. Um, and, and not to go too deep into that, um, I think my father was much more um, open-minded about that kind of thing. And he, you know, wasn't, he wasn't like, you know, a super progressive guy, but he was an open-minded, I guess you could call him a liberal, you know, an open-minded liberal, you know, moderate liberal. And he listened to what I said about my gender and how I felt about my body. And he was willing to help me um, start HRT and which is hormone replacement therapy. And in my case, that's testosterone, which if you don't know, is the masculine, masculinization, which causes masculinization. Sorry, <clears throat> a little tongue tied here, yes. but um, <laughs> which is the masculinization hormone and which, you know, deepens your voice. You get body hair, you get you get a little more sweaty. You sometimes get a little more hungry and et cetera. And and I've been on tea for um, a number of years now, um, but I, it's it was quite weird because I also grew up in not weird, never mind. That's probably not a good descriptor, but it was quite interesting because I also grew up in a very religious kind of environment as well, um, and that I have a lot. I hold a lot of religious trauma. Um from being, you know, a queer kid in the church. Um, and I, um, and that's something that, you know, um, was hard to deal with, you know, because the church was, you know, labeled as something like that it was supposed to be an accepting place in a place where like, because Jesus loves everybody, right? You know, mm -hmm. and that's how I always took it, you know, when I read scripture and, you know, I am a history nerd. So I read scripture more for the historical aspect of it rather than like the religious aspect, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I thought it was supposed to be, you know, a welcoming place because isn't that what Christ 
being Christ-like is. You know, he sat with the sinners. He ate with um, sex workers. He dined with the poor, you know? So, yeah. But that's not the kind of reception that I got. And, and that, and it deeply affected me in the way that, you know, it drove me from religion for a long time. Now, I don't hate a particular religion and I don't, and I don't, um, see religion as an, an inherent bad thing, but I do think it can be weaponized to hurt people. It's just like any ideology, you know, just like any mm-hmm. belief system can be used to hurt people. And that, and, and I think, of course, that's a very nuanced statement within itself, but, you know, it wasn't easy, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like, what was it like? It wasn't easy, you know, you know, being the only Asian kid, you know, in the class or like, or mm-hmm. like when we would talk about like ancient China, you know, all the eyeballs go to you, you know, like yeah. if you're talking about, you know, um, yeah. as particular topic in school, whether it's like <clears throat> slavery or whether it's like, you know, the Irish famine, all the eyes go to like the particular member of the group, you know? Yeah. Um, and when it was, and when we were talking about like ancient China, you know, all the eyeballs went to me, you know? Yeah. So it, it's like that unfortunate consequence, yeah. I guess, of just being singled out because of, you know, of features that you have no control over. Yeah. Exactly. But, yeah. So did you experience, yeah, judgment, maybe even condemnation? I mean, that's what, that's the reality for some people as mm -hmm. both um, Chinese and queer. Yeah. um, So I think for me, like, I think there, it's two separate things, right? You know, um, and obviously they intersect or intersect, sorry. And I think that being a queer adoptee, you know, like I said, it it wasn't easy, you know, it wasn't being somebody like a transracially adopted person. Um, And, oh, quick note on, on that terminology, it, so transracial doesn't refer to a particular like identity, it refers to the transracial and transracial adoption refers to, refers to the adoption itself, just, yeah. And which is specifically where that term originated from. Just if people were wondering what being a transracial adoptee meant and what that term meant and had any confusion, since we are talking a bit about gender as well, those two are not the same things. Beautiful. Thank you for clarifying that. That was beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. You know, being a transgender, um, transracial adoptee, that puts me in a little precarious kind of situation as yes I am yes I do identify as transgender um and my adoption was transnational or trans and transracial yeah um, in nature yeah so but to go back to your question in a way I did you know you know was it whether it was because I looked different you know and I was also just a very weird kid growing up you know I was a very weird child and so I faced a lot of kind of alienation from my peers for, I guess, multiple reasons. You know, I, 
you know, because I remember when I was young um, and it, I, I had my first and uh, yeah, not yeah, my first teacher of color. She was a black woman and she was very nice. When I got a little older, she um, like when I was a little bit older, like in like sixth grade or something, she invited me to her house to meet her daughters because um, she was just that nice of a person, you know, and she invited the whole class to her house once. Um, and she was a lovely woman. And I remember telling her like, oh, well, like, I'm like the only Asian kid in class. Like, I feel like the other kids don't like me, you know, like the other, mm. you know, um, non-racial minority kids uh, don't like me because of that, you know, and there were a few black students in the classroom. Um, and then there was me. And then I think maybe another like person of color, but I don't remember what what race they were. Hmm. I think they might have been like Latina or something. Um, Latin, lat Latino. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, I but I remember like knowing that race was a thing when I was a kid too. You know, yeah. because it's hard to miss, right? When yeah. you when people like point it out to you. Yeah. And so I learned very quickly what it was like to um catch, I guess, um microaggressions and to catch like things that people said that might have been off, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm 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 pretty sure you probably picked up on those things right away yourself, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, also mm -hmm. in my uh yeah yeah firstly also no firstly and also in my family so it's mm. like from the environment outside the home I grew up in but also very much in the home I grew up in mm, yeah no I relate to that you know I relate to that to an extent yeah you know um and usually for me at least in my case it wasn't always outright either it was in in a few situations it was definitely blatant um and i can tell you you know i think i mentioned this story before where like i was at an easter um gathering it was an extended family thing and this other i guess he was like a second cousin or some sort of cousin i don't know how he was like related but it was like through my adoptive mom's side of the family and he looked at me and he said, you bombed us. And I knew he was talking about Pearl Harbor. And yeah. I knew he was talking about it. Was, and I knew why he said it too. You know, and I, because being a history nerd, I knew what Pearl Harbor was. And my father was, a his, my adoptive father was a history teacher. And he passed that on to me, you know, the love of history and how we can learn from history, which is why I think we should study history, you know, because you don't learn history for to feel warm and fuzzy you learn it to like do better and exactly. and I think and I knew what he what that child meant by that statement and well nobody really said anything to him like none of the adults did it was my adoptive father was there uh, I remember him sitting there and then he looked at me and said like oh that was because I told the kid to read a book and now <laughs> I was like um and I told him to read a book because his statement was, you know, false. Um, yeah. But nobody said anything to the K 
kid, right? Nobody said, oh, that was wrong. I mean, they laughed, you know, but because my response was kind of witty or, and which, yeah. you know, cool. You know, I think it was a little smart aleck, but um, it was, I like it, <laughs> but I, <laughs> but it also just kind of felt alienating because I, I didn't expect kind of that kind of language or that kind of phrase to come out of, you know, at like a family event, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, and, you know, I, I don't know. It's, sorry. I don't know. I, it's just something that, like, you just, you're used to, you know. Unfortunately, it's those little moments that you get used to in life. And there's not really a thing that you can do about them. But, you know, you just got to move on, you know. Yeah. Did you have any sense of safety at all um, during your childhood, just growing up? I mean, with all these realizations of, okay, so race is an issue apparently. And also I don't feel like a girl. I don't feel like a woman. What is this? I, I'm just getting the sense of, I'm, I'm just thinking what it, what it must be like to be a child with this awareness that I'm, I, I feel different and the world is also telling me that I look different. Where, where, where was your safe space if you had one and how, and how did you create safety for you? Um, so I created, I think that's, this is a wonderful question actually. Um, because I, I think it was through my interests right so when I get interested in something I what they say call like hyper fixate on something mm-hmm. right now for me that interest is Star Trek um and I'm going to a Star Trek convention tomorrow and I'm Ooh. very excited about it um, <laughs> um but anyway um it's through my interests because when I and for example, if I'm watching Star Trek and I was actually watching Star Trek before you called, I was just waiting <laughs> um, for you to hop on. But when I'm watching Star Trek or talking about Star Trek or talking about, you know, one of my interests um, be, was like, in general, it was history. And I still enjoy history. And it was certain areas in history um, throughout my throughout growing up. And when I would read about that certain event or that certain person or that time period, then I could get immersed into those things um, and forget about the world around me. And because I would be so absorbed in thinking about, you know, what that specific time period, that specific topic in history. And, and it gave me, oh, and it gave me an outlet to just be, I guess, myself, you know, to not think, you know, I grew up with the internet, you know, and so I made it, found a lot of connections through online and, and I made some wonderful friends, you know, I can name a number of them on just on like on my hand, but I think that the internet can connect us together. Um, and that's what it did for me too. And because, you know, I engaged with my um, hyperfixations that in that way, um, 
especially online, that I was able to find people to talk to and find people to, um, you know, relate to, as well as like being passionate about um, social issues and learning about social justice issues and not, mm-hmm. you know, being the, the annoying quote unquote SJW, oh, <clears throat> but um, just, you know, being conscientious about people around me. Cause you know, as growing up, I was kind of a, in a way rebellious, in a way, very kind of not a great person, you know, but, but who is, you know, when they're a kid, you know, who is, we're all kind of, crappy as when we're growing up um but I was but you know learning about other people and learning even about my own identity too and what it means to be queer and what it means to be Asian and what it means to be you know human and I think yeah we all you know we all are human and so I really do think that we all just want the same things. We all just want to be accepted and we all want to feel safe and we all want, and that's, but I think people just have different ideas about how to do that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for some people, I think um, they create safety for themselves through reading books, watching movies, as you said, like, being hyper-focused on some interests they have and that becomes their entire world. It can also be, I believe it can also be um, if you're growing up in an environment that's really challenging Mm. for whatever reason, it can be, is it called a refuge? No. It can be like an outlet. Can it, would the word like be outlet? Like be an outlet. Yeah, it can be an outlet, but also a place where you seek refuge. Yeah, I refuge. think that would be the appropriate word. Yes. Yeah. Um. Oh, I lost it. I I lost it. <laughs> what was I saying? I can't remember what you said, and now I can't remember what I want to say to what you said. <laughs> oh, we were talking about how like I use my interests to create a space where I you know felt at home yeah exactly yeah Mm -hmm. and I know I know several people that do that too through then it's books or being creative or finding a hobby that really interested in and then going you know deep into that I think that's yeah exactly yeah um yeah I wouldn't say my childhood was difficult but, you know, I, it had its challenges, but I wouldn't say it was difficult or, or like, mm. hard. Uh, I would say I'm fortunate in that regard. But I, think yeah. it, but I think there's also nuance to that. You know, what does it mean? Because as adoptees, we're often told to be grateful for what we have. And we're yeah. not allowed to speak up about the issues that do affect us, like isolation and and racism, especially if you're a transracial adoptee, you know, and I think that um, being, and I think that's the great thing about, you know, sharing our stories and how our unique experiences can bring us together as humans, you know, talking and, and sharing our experiences and just being 
existing in together as humans, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think adoption in itself is a very nuanced, you know, topic. There's a lot of layers to it. It's like an onion, like an ogre. Yeah. Yeah. You can just (laughs) unpeel layer after layer after layer. And that's just going to be another layer when you think you've, yeah. Yeah, it is very complex. Um, Yeah. Okay, so regarding this entire transracial, transgender journey. Okay. Is there anything you wish during your childhood is there anything you wish had been different hmm well I sometimes wish that my mother my adoptive mother was more understanding of my transition I I think that um she she's always had a very difficult time understanding it um which led her not to necessarily be quote-unquote on board with everything that I've chosen to do with my body, um, which is her, you know, which is her opinion. And I mean, whether it's a valid opinion or not, you know, that's not really up to her. It's more up to me. Um, Yeah, it's your choice. Right, my body, my choice. Um, And it's my bodily autonomy. And I think that's something that I never really had growing up because I, you know, was placed in like certain situations where I didn't get to choose, like where I didn't get to choose about my own um, health in particular. Um, and and I think that um, with that experience, you know, I was placed in the mental health system when I was very young. And so through that experience, I didn't have a lot of control over what I could do or what I could say or what happened to my body. Um, in that regard. Uh, And I Mm -hmm. won't get into that too much, but I think that, um, I think understanding is something that I would have wished for. Um, you know, both from your mother and your, uh, sorry, from, from your um, adoptive mother and from the mental health system. Um, in a way. Yeah. I, I guess you could say both in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And so what is your experience today, again, as a transracial adoptee and uh, transgender person? What is your, what is your wish? You know, you, you, you began this interview with mentioning just the view and the queer community and how transgender people are treated. Um, Mm -hmm. What is your, what are your wishes Um, I wish that people could be a little more open-minded and even if they can't, and even if it's hard to understand it, I wish people would be kind. Mm -hmm. And I think kindness Mm -hmm. is something that's a little underrated now these days, you know, Mm -hmm. from, um, from all sides of the political spectrum, I would say, you know, Mm -hmm. I think being kind is super important. I mean, I think there's being kind and then there's having boundaries, but you can still be kind while having boundaries, for example. I think that with being 
um, queer, you know, that can be different for people. It can be, you know, new, a new mm-hmm. topic. It can be a new, like, a new thing. And that's okay. And it's okay not to understand things. But you can still be kind. Yeah. You can still respect people even if you don't understand something. Yes. I don't understand algebra, right? I don't understand algebra. I don't get it. And I don't particularly, you know, want to do anything with algebra. But it doesn't mean that it's not real and it doesn't exist. And I can't respect it as a science or as a specific type of math. Yeah. You know, I don't understand a lot of things, but that doesn't mean I can't. I don't understand a lot of people's decisions and choices and and that's, you know, okay. But I can still respect them as human beings. I don't know why people choose to do certain things that they do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people are people and I think all we need to do is be kind, mm-hmm. right? As Wayman Wong says, be kind, Evelyn, be kind mm-hmm. from everything, everywhere, all at once, which was a fantastic movie, by the way. Shout <laughs> okay. out to that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think the best thing we all can do, and I'm practicing this constantly, is, you know, staying in my own lane, and asking myself is this how I want to show up how can I show up as my best self even when I'm triggered even when I absolutely disagree you know I think it's those are important important questions to ask ourselves yeah definitely I just have one last question and that is if there are any transracial and trans no let me start over (laughs) if there are any transracial adoptees and transgender people listening right now Mm. what would you like them to know I would like to say that it's okay to be yourself right and even if you're not in a position where you can be yourself um, I, you, I would end just knowing and accepting who you are can make a big difference, you mm-hmm. know, and how, and how you perceive yourself and who you are and your self identity. Mm-hmm. And I'm also encouraging people, you know, if you are, you know, a transracial adoptee who hasn't explored their culture and it's your choice, you know, I'm not going to police what you choose to do or not do. I would encourage to explore it, right? You you never know what you might find. Mm. And for people um, who are unsure of their gender identity is explore it, you know? There's no harm in playing with different expressions, right? You don't have to go on hormones mm. right away if you don't want to, you know? You can just play around with your expression. You can be gender non-conforming, you know? Just be yourself, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a lot harder than said but I think also look out for each other yeah I think is a big one too just look out for your communities look out for for the people around you and like I said before be kind yeah oh thank you a that's so beautiful 
Thank you for joining and thank you for your vulnerability and your honesty. That was it for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to raise our chemical voices and share this episode on your social media. If you would like to guest on the podcast or share your story anonymously, please find the link in the episode description. Until next time, 